Help us, gracious God, to love you in all things and above all things. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. In the reading from Jeremiah, we have that wonderful image of God as the potter and us as the clay. Psalm 139 speaks of the intimacy and profoundness of God. And Philemon is the only biblical book with only one chapter in it. So preaching on an entire book is a rare opportunity. For the last week and a half or so, I have been trying to plan a sermon on one of those three texts. But the text from Luke has been like a giant standing in my path. I wanted to find a way around it, but nothing seemed to connect for me. The Spirit knew that not only do I need to wrestle with this text, but that through me and Luke, she has something to say to you as well. And so first I'm going to offer what I think this passage is all about. And then I'm going to talk about how Jesus makes the point. And then we will conclude by considering what these difficult words of Jesus might mean for us today. So what is this all about? Hating family, taking up a cross, planning for building in war, and giving up our possessions. The broad topic that Jesus is speaking about is idolatry and allegiance. The phrase, cannot be my disciple, is where we see this. The word cannot, it makes it sound like it's not allowed. As if there's some rule that Jesus has that says if you love your family, that Jesus will have to reject you. But a better translation would be, you are not able. It's not that we're not allowed, it's that we're not capable. Again, it's about idolatry and allegiance. When Jesus says, whoever does not carry the cross and follow me, he's giving us the key to read this whole passage. When he says, follow me, he's using a formula that was used by the prophets of Israel to describe allegiance. Another way of saying, follow me, is to say, come after me, or go behind me. Well, think about kids at school, walking down the hallway. They have a line leader. And that person knows where the class is going and leads them there. Now, the kids in the back of the line, maybe they weren't paying attention. They don't necessarily know where this line is going. But if they follow, they'll get there. But imagine there are five line leaders. Well, that's chaos. It means what? Maybe half the students don't make their way to the cafeteria. Or even worse, what if every student in the class decides that they will discover their own path, go on their own journey, well, most of us will never find our way there. That's what this passage is all about. For generations, the prophets had been warning the people about going after false gods. Now, for most of us, believing in one god is a big enough challenge. So we're not particularly worried about following Baal or Poseidon or Venus. But we do not need to call something a god for it to be idolatry. An idol or a god is just whatever that thing is that we put at the center of our lives. It is the motivating story by which we live our lives, the set of values that we use to determine our priorities, the motivations that shape our desires. 
And so in this sense, even the most ardent atheist has a God. And in these sayings, Jesus is not necessarily saying that family or possessions are evil. Rather, he's just making it clear that there is only one true God. And if we give our allegiance to any of those other things, even good things, we cannot follow him because we've put our anchor down somewhere else. These sayings are about the proper ordering of our loves and our devotions. What it boils down to is that only Jesus can be the load-bearing foundation of our lives. Only Jesus can be the Lord of our lives. Now, this is not to say anything negative about fathers, mothers, spouses, siblings, or children. They just can't be at the center of everything because even the most devoted spouse will disappoint us at times. We all immediately recognize that the phrase perfect parent or perfect child is an oxymoron. We are all imperfect, flawed, and wounded creatures. And if we put our meaning, purpose, and identity in mortal and imperfect relationships, we will always come up short because we simply cannot bear such a heavy load. And it is not only unreasonable to put our family at the center of all things, that's a terrible burden to put on another person. It's hard enough to keep our own lives on track, but then to be told that we are responsible for fulfilling, completing, and bringing joy to someone else that we have no control over? That's not just impossible, but downright oppressive. These words are about loving God first, which enables us to truly love our family and ourselves. Now, to be clear, I am not saying that, that if you're not sure about God, or if you're lukewarm in the faith that you can't love your spouse or your children, by no means is that the conclusion to draw from this. But what Jesus is saying is that by being devoted to him above all things, we are then freed up to love others in a way that we can't even begin to imagine. Instead of loving our spouse, parents, or children for the roles that they have in our lives, we can just love them for who they are. Instead of expecting our our spouse to fulfill us, or to ask our children to give us our purpose for life, we can instead just love them for who they are instead of what they do for us. And this is exactly the point that St. Paul makes in his letter to Philemon. He says that Onesimus, who was a slave, is now to be received through Christ, no longer as a slave, but as a beloved brother. Jesus transforms, deepens, and perfects all of our relationships. But if we are less than fully committed to Jesus, then we are not able to fully receive his grace. And there is no other relationship in this world that can lead us into the peace that passes all understanding or gives us the hope that makes all things well. Following after Jesus and giving our full allegiance and trust to him is what frees us to grow in love beyond what is humanly possible. As to how Jesus makes this point, he makes it rather strongly, doesn't he? 
Now, is hate a hyperbole intended to catch our attention? I don't know. You're going to have to ask Jesus about that someday. But what I do know is that there are a lot of places in Scripture where love and hate are used comparatively. Hatred does not necessarily mean negative emotions or ill will. In the language of Scripture, if one thing is called the beloved, then by contrast, all other things are identified as the hated. It's not that we're supposed to have animosity for the people who are our parents, spouses, or ourselves. Rather, we are to hate, to reject the claims that those roles place on us. It's an exhortation to free ourselves from all the attachments that pull us away from God. So instead of worrying about whether or not we are a good enough spouse, if, or if our children are good enough, instead we put the fullness of our love with God, where grace and mercy grow in abundance. And the same would be true for our possessions, the things that we try to collect or measure our status by or seek pleasure from. They can become impediments to fully following God. Now, this is not to say that we all need to take a vow of poverty and become hunters and gatherers who don't have a single thing to our name. But it is to say that we need to be ready to give up anything that keeps us from God. It's not wrong to own a car, but if we find that our car becomes more than a tool and it becomes an idol, well, then Jesus would say we need to get rid of it. And maybe it's not a car, maybe it's your house or a bank account or the clothes in the closet or your hobbies. In and of themselves, none of these are bad things, just like a family is not a bad thing. But when they put claims on us, when we end up serving them instead of God, when we spend more time and energy worrying about those things than we do praying or serving those in need, well, then we need to reject them as the idols that they have become. Then Jesus speaks about the cross and says that we are to take up ours and follow him. The cross is about shame. It is about giving up a worldly vision of success. And it is about death. And this is where the next two metaphors are really helpful of someone embarking on a construction project, wanting to make sure they have the funding and the materials to complete the task, or of a king going out to battle, needing to know if they have the resources to win. Put more simply, Jesus is saying there's no such thing as halfway when it comes to discipleship. We are not a parent and a member of a civic club and an employee and someone who enjoys gardening and a follower of Jesus, as if following Jesus is one priority among many. No, in the same way that a half-built tower is worthless, and a half-sized army will be defeated, halfway discipleship gets us nowhere. And the cross makes sense of this reality because there is no way to partially take up a cross. No one is half crucified. Either we follow Jesus or we don't. Either we are united to Christ's death and raised with him in the newness of resurrection life, or we aren't. We're either living or we're dead. There's no halfway. And if we are living for earthly priorities and relationships, then we are dead to the radical way of grace that was opened to us on Easter morning. But if we know ourselves to be as good as dead to the world, well, then we are alive in Christ. 
and we are able to more perfectly and fully receive the gifts that we have been given in our lives, in our relationships, and in our callings. This is a passage about having Jesus at the center of all things, and we do this by having God not as one priority among many, but as the essential thing that gives meaning to everything else. And so lastly, what does this mean for us? What does it mean to say that Jesus and Jesus alone can be the center of our lives? Well, for one, it's about our hope. Not what we hope for, but what we hope in. If, it, if our hope is in that we will achieve certain things or be viewed in a certain way or have specific experiences, we will come up short. Because even if everything goes our way and we check off everything that we put on our list, there will still come a day when we all come face to face with death. Jesus gives us the promise that he is our good shepherd and that even though we have not earned it, even though we take our last breath, we will always be alive in his love. And this radically changes everything. It liberates us from living for awards, success, promotions, or reputation. The only hope that we have for all things to be redeemed, restored, and perfected is in Jesus Christ. And thanks be to God, that is exactly what Jesus promises to do and invites us to experience this as we follow him. Another way to have Jesus at the center is to have a holy rhythm to our lives, to make sure that we are intentional about stopping, to be aware that we are in the green pastures of his grace, drinking from the still waters of his love. Maybe it's a rosary or contemplative prayer, morning or evening prayer, reading scripture. The trick is not how we do it. It's that we make time to receive the gift of Jesus' presence with us. And likewise, the same thing is true for how we use our money. Simply put, if our budgets are not impacted by Jesus, then we will not be able to experience the freedom that Jesus gives us from the pull of money. And I cannot tell you how much you would need to give for your financial situation to be impacted by Jesus but you know how much that would take. One last way that we could put Jesus at the center of all things is to realize and remind ourselves that we don't really have to put Jesus at the center because he's already there. We only need to see this and live as if it were true because it is Jesus who took up his cross for our salvation so that our salvation would not depend on our ability to do it. Jesus is the one who forsook himself for our sake. Jesus is the one who counted the cost and then showed us the depths, the beauty, and the fullness of God's love for us. So instead of striving and agonizing and chasing after our purpose or our identity, we can instead enjoy what we have been given in Jesus. Everything.